Rockport, Texas, which was hit by the eye of Hurricane Harvey overnight. Prices have increased more than $7 a gallon. This was immediately investigated as the price went up. That's sickening. It's disgusting. It's unacceptable. And we're not going to have it. Scared for their lives. Forced out of their Tampa hotel room Thursday. Last night, I paid $51.37. What do they want you to pay tonight? $200. And now you have to leave. Can you afford that? No, I cannot. As Matthew barreled in, she says, raise the rates by more than triple. They're just taking advantage of us. They're taking advantage of making extra money because there's a hurricane coming. Yes. Come on, you could hear the little baby crying in that. How could you defend price gouging when you hear stories like that? What do you think about price gouging? Is it a good thing? It's Seven Figures. I'm Sandy Waters. Thank you so much for joining the podcast every week. And thanks to our good friends at Family First Credit Union for helping us out with this and keeping it going. We're going to focus on price gouging today because it's inevitable, right? With every natural disaster, what happens? The buzzword, price gouging. Most of us, our initial feeling is, that sounds dirty. That's not right. It's greedy. It's immoral. But there are people who feel it is necessary. Price gouging is a good thing. How? Well, let's find out. It's time to cash it with our expert, PhD in economics, host of the Econ Talk podcast, Russ Roberts. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. My pleasure. Now, wait, did you teach at the U of R for a little bit there? I I did, 1980 to 1985. Oh, wow. You miss Rochester, don't you? Of course I do. (laughs) I do. It's a wonderful city. Well, welcome back. Welcome back to Rochester. Now, I heard you on a a podcast with, uh, who was it, with Adam Carolla. You were the first person that I heard say price gouging could be a good thing. I have never heard anybody to boldly make a statement like that. (laughs) Definitely no politician would ever take that stance. Um, But are there benefits to price gouging that we don't even, you know, see? Well, I love... I love that word, gouging. It's so uh, vivid. It's uh, and cinematic. It can uh, it, it conjures up so many unattractive images. So it's hard to defend it. Uh, so I, I, what I'm interested in is what happens after and before, but especially after a natural disaster, a hurricane, an earthquake, a storm, a snowstorm. Often, what what is would happen if if the government uh, didn't intervene, what would happen naturally is that some prices would go up, and, and perhaps quite a lot, uh, after that disaster because people all of a sudden realize they're out of water, they don't have electricity, they need a generator, uh, they want all kinds of basics that they probably didn't stock up on in advance or couldn't stock up on in advance. And the natural economic forces there are going to push those prices up. And so that's called uh, often called gouging. It's taking advantage of people at a time of need, and it sounds terrible. And so mm-hmm. often what happens is the government says, if anybody gouges, anybody takes advantage of folks and raises prices, sometimes they'll say raises prices exorbitantly or excessively, right. uh, you're going to be fined, put in jail, uh, and so on. Well, on and the my surface, ar- it sounds very unethical. It yeah. does. It does. Um, it sounds cruel even. But my claim is that stopping those prices from rising and discouraging those price rises has its own cruelty as well. And then we'd have to think about which world we'd want to live in. The basic fact is, this is the underlying truth that can't be avoided. 
uh, there are people who want to buy more stuff than there is stuff available. That's what causes the price to go up of these items we're talking about. And so the question is, uh, that's going to be hard on poor people, obviously. It's hard on any consumer, but especially hard on poor people. Some of them may not be able to afford it, and so the natural impulse is to stop that price from going up. That price going up, though, is a symptom of the problem, not the problem itself. Again, the underlying problem is all of a sudden people want to buy a lot more of something than that is available, and they through that competition to get at it, uh, they allow uh, sellers to profit from that by raising their price. So, now, suppose we say that that's wrong, okay, okay. which many, many states do, many cities do, and we pass laws against it. What that means is the price won't go up, and what that means is, is that the amount of stuff available mm-hmm. isn't going to change. Uh, what the increase, and, and not many people are going to be able to get the stuff they desperately need, sometimes life-threatening, life-saving things they need, uh, oxygen for their sick parent. There was a recently a story where a person in line buying oxygen uh, gave it up for uh, someone who desperately needed it, for a parent who was dying, and that's a beautiful thing. But what a high price does is it encourages people who don't desperately need something to step aside and to let other people get it who do need it. And more importantly, it encourages people to bear costs to bring additional supplies into the area. So after hurricanes, for example, people often load up a pickup truck with lumber and drive down to the devastated place. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart, although they might enjoy helping people, but they're going to make money. They hope to sell that lumber for more than they paid for it. And often the reason they're going to drive for hours in that pickup truck is because they know that the lumber is very valuable in the, in Florida, say, or they know that water is very precious in a place. They're going to drive toward the disaster. And I think that's the thing people forget. They forget that the supply isn't fixed and how long there's not going to be enough of something depends on whether you let the price rise to encourage people to bring those supplies in. My favorite example of this uh, was in it's a it's a very uh, dramatic example of it was in Sydney, Australia. There was a terrorist attack in a part of town, or a fear of a terrorist attack. I think mm-hmm. a bomb went off, and Uber, which has what's called surge pricing, which is people would call gouging and cruel, yeah. uh, often people do often describe it that way and and unethical. Uber's computer system raised prices to get people uh, to. They raised the price they charged people to take an Uber at that time when there was this incredible fear. Because all of a sudden, there were a bunch of people who wanted to get out of this area and get somewhere else. And people said that was wrong. Okay, And maybe it is. I don't know. What I do know is that it encouraged people to drive in toward danger to help people who needed and desperately wanted to get out of danger. So to people who say this is wrong, it's unethical to let prices rise. What's your mechanism for helping desperate people get the supplies that they want? Now, it's still the case that it's going to be harder on poor people, although I remember very vividly a student telling me one time that she did, she was an adult, not a, not a, a young student. Mm-hmm. She said her she was before a hurricane that was coming. She was going to stock up on generators. She already had one, but she thought, well, wow, maybe I should get a backup. She was very comfortable financially. Well, when she saw the price, she said, nah, I'm okay. Now, that ah, freed okay. up the opportunity for someone who didn't have any to have it. 
So these are the kind of trade-offs that I think we should think about when we think about these laws. There's nothing perfect about letting the price rise. It's hard on some people. But not letting it rise is also hard on people. And that's that's my that's my real lesson. So it alleviates hoarding, the hoarders yes. of the world. Correct. But does it need to increase as much as it does? Nine dollars a bottle of water is what I saw. What was it at Best Buy for Hurricane Harvey was the big thing going around. Does it really need to go up that much? Well, isn't there a I'll limit you, as to where well, you, you should cap it off? I think when I moved when I moved from St. Louis, Missouri to Washington D.C., mm-hmm. uh, I had to pay uh, more for my house. Okay, I ended up paying. I got a slightly smaller and uh, not as nice a house, smaller land, not as as charming a house for about twice the money. Okay, <laughs> the guy who sold me that house. He had, he had bought it in 1968. I bought it in 2003. When he bought it in 1968, it was one-tenth of what he had paid, of what I paid for it, okay? Mm-hmm. I paid 10 times more. He received 10 times more than he had paid for the house. Now, imagine I had said to him, you know, don't you think twice is plenty? Do you really need to make 10 times as much? <laughs> yeah. They're laughing, but, but it's, it's a similar question. And now, the was he exploiting me? Now, he could have said, you know, I don't really need to take advantage of this guy. But the reason he was able to charge 10 times what he paid for that house is because a lot of people want to live in the Washington, D.C. area now compared to 1968. Okay, so I think here's a, a little bit of a difference. You had you didn't have to have that house in that neighborhood, just like here locally. Yeah, and you, that's right. you you lived here, so you are familiar with this. Yep. To live on the east side costs more money for the exact same house as it does on the west side, and that's the unfair, isn't exact it? Exact. And I think it's unfair, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but, but but it's not anybody's. But the east siders no, can pick or choose if they want to live there. When you correct. have no water. And yep. there has been a natural disaster. Now you're just preying on those who have zero, nothing, no choice. Correct. Well, they have choice because there's lots of stores selling water at nine times the price today or six times or whatever it is. Yeah, you have right. a choice, but it's a high price wherever you go. And that's because there's not enough to go around. So, again, we're back to the yes. fundamental okay. problem. Mm-hmm. I think what people have in mind, here's what people have in mind. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a reasonable presum- presumption. They think of it as, as the following. I show up at my store and I and I say and I say I need some water. Well, it's really sorry, it's really expensive today. Wow, that's really cruel. That's really mean. Why are you doing that to me? Well, that's the going rate. I'm not the one doing it. It's all over town. You're not going to find it for any less. I'm not. I'm not exploiting you, right? And you could say, well, but why don't? It's, it's the market that's caused this situation. This fact that so many people want to buy it. So you'd think, well, but you don't have to follow that. You could just charge half of the 10 times. You could just charge five times more. You're being cruel. You're profiting from my desperation. Mm-hmm. And that's, there's truth to that, right? And so you could say, you shouldn't charge 10 times, five times is plenty, or three times, whatever you, in your wisdom, think it should be. <laughs> well, if you do that, you'll be out instantly. And the person who shows up two weeks, two days, two hours, whatever it is later, and says, I need water. Then there's none left. Okay. There's none. So the other thing to keep in mind is the fact that it's that you allow it to be nine times higher means next time 
there's an encouragement of the store to stock up. So is that what it is? And reduce the problem in advance. Okay, so is that really what it is? To, so instead Walmart, of playing... Way, I, don't think, I don't think Walmart raises the price on their Pop-Tarts during a natural disaster. They stock up on Pop-Tarts. They, I, I've read. I think it's probably true because that's something people buy in advance of a natural disaster. So when people... And there's a forecast for a hurricane or a huge snowstorm. Walmart stocks up. I've read this. Again, it might be apocryphal, but it doesn't matter. There are things I'm sure they stock up on. Mm-hmm. I've heard they stock up on beer because <laughs> it's not perishable. Yeah, yeah okay. And Pop-Tarts. And I'm sure they stock up on bottled water and other things. They don't. The week before the hurricane, the week before the snowstorm, they don't say, oh, this is really expensive. Because they've already taken that into account. It's not a sudden expensive thing they have to deal with. They may have some extra cost of storage or whatever or urgency to get it there. And by the way, it's perfectly fine for a retailer to say as a public relations gesture, we are going to sell water at at its regular price because we were smart enough to order an enormous amount in advance. And and we're going to we're going to not lose money, but we're not going to make extra money. And that's okay. I think that's what's tough to stomach is people are making a profit. Over yeah. those, who, but now you made a very good point. I was I was ready to battle you today, <laughs> but you made a very good point in that if you plan right, if you stop yep. playing the victim of poor me, I have no water in the fridge. I got to feed my babies water, and if you plan because you live in a hurricane area or like in Rochester, we can just expect snowstorms. We should have yeah a lot. We should just Every have day. a generator. You can't complain if you don't plan is really what you're saying? That's part. Well, I wouldn't say you can't complain. I think you can always be depressed or sad or you can even be angry. Okay. But I think you should think about who, you, who you're being angry at. Okay. You're really, you think you're angry at the store. Yeah. But think how angry you're going to be, which is the situation in Venezuela right now, when you want bread. And mm-hmm. there's no bread in the store at all because the government has put a price ceiling on bread and won't let the price go to its natural rate. That's what the situation is. That's the alternative. Now, that's an extreme version of the alternative. I'm not going to say it's always like that. Um, and again, I don't have any, I think it's wonderful if people want to share their water, give their water away, uh, go over to their neighbors and say, did you be able to get water? No, here's some. I would, I would never suggest, for example, that if my neighbor, if I see my neighbor crying and I say, what's wrong? I went to the store and it was 10 times the regular price and I couldn't afford it or I it's just too much for me. I didn't want to give up something else for my children. I'd say, well, I have plenty. Here's some. I don't, I, it's not. You wouldn't charge not, her? No. No, exactly. <laughs> there even is though, some kindness to you. <laughs> I, I could. Obviously, I could. You, but I don't think you should. Okay. But that's different. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a very different situation for a stranger retailer situation. And there's, there's a great moment in um, the movie It's a Wonderful Life where <laughs> George movie. Bailey. Yeah. One of mine, too. George Bailey is about to go on his honeymoon. There's a run at the bank, and he confronts all the customers, and he says, do you really need to take all your money out? And they talk it through, and they make sure everybody who needs money desperately gets it, and so on. In a small-town situation, and Rochester is as wonderful a town as it is. I would not call it a small town. It's a small city. But in a place where you know people, and that's why I mentioned my neighbor or the people in my, my, uh, my synagogue or my church or my mosque, People who who interact with one another, of course, we band together all the time to help each other and don't exploit each other. Don't raise prices. Don't say, oh, you need me to push your car out of the snow ditch. Okay, then next time you're going to have to 
I'm going to expect you to help me uh, rake my leaves. Deal? That's not, that's not what we do with people we see face-to-face and yeah. interact with, and even a stranger in distress. And I think we take that logic, which is, good, which is very valuable and a huge part of being a good human being, which is to help people in time of distress, and we say, well, Walmart should help people in time of distress. Well, Walmart's not a person. Walmart's a store. It exists to cover its costs and employ its people. And if we say to them, you cannot cover your costs or enjoy the benefits of your advanced planning, we're going to discourage the things that we really desperately want. It would be great if Walmart could say to its shareholders or its employees, let's all take a little cut this week and we'll keep prices the same (laughs) and we'll bring in more stuff anyway. I think it's just, yeah, it makes it makes sense on paper. And but I think it's just hard to swallow yeah. when you see the big man making all the money and all, all of us little people, you know, at our expense. But and when we sell our houses to profit, we should keep that in mind that we are the man at that point, too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's very true. So an underlying um, message here is to get people to work, to to plan, to be held accountable. Now let's move into a little bit into just the economy in itself. What do you see that is broken? Be, do, do you think there are too many people or more people living off the quote system? And what will get them motivated to have a financial plan of their own? Well, I think there's there's a there's a lot there to, to talk about. I think financial planning is very difficult. It doesn't come naturally to us, uh, at all, most of us, at all. We're not uh, it taught come, it anywhere. Yeah, it doesn't come naturally it, yeah. to me. In fact, I will. I will. I'm an economist. Um, I think you mentioned I have a PhD. Uh, the last time I balanced my checkbook, I lived in Rochester, New York. Uh, that was 1983, I think. So I'm not the best uh, at those kind of things. And I think recognizing that is a huge step forward to uh, personal financial sanity. You have to know your limitation. Be aware of what you're not good at. Okay. And if you have a tendency to be an impulsive shopper and to buy stuff on uh, that you don't need and to uh, not take account of what you can afford, you, you want to make sure you don't put yourself in situations where you're going to be uh, easily swayed and make decisions that you're going to pay for later. That's number one. Okay. Self-aware uh, debt, of your weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Debt. Debt going into excessive debt, uh, the power of a credit card to um, credit cards, a lovely thing, but it's very easy to be uh, to struggle with the um, reality of sometimes uh, borrowing too much money, buying the house you can't really afford and so on. So I think there are really two issues here. One's an issue of Mm -hmm. self-control. That's a very big challenge for every human being. The second issue is just what are the opportunities available to us? And given our education, our skills, our gifts, uh, the things we've we've worked to to improve ourselves and the things we've learned. And I think right now in the American economy, I would say the biggest challenge is if you don't finish high school and increasingly if you don't finish college, you may have a tougher time than you used to have. And I think that's a hard adjustment for people to make. Part of the reason it's hard is our school system is, is very flawed. Public school system is in in many places is wonderful, and in many places it's totally inadequate. And culturally, we struggle to stay on track. I think all of us individually struggle sometimes to do the right thing. And so, a series of bad decisions early on in life 
uh, are going to be costly later on. It's hard to anticipate that, hard to prepare for it, hard to be aware of it even. So I think a lot of Americans today, we have the highest standard of living in, in human history, uh, but a lot of people aren't enjoying it or are struggling to find meaning in what they do or from their daily lives because their skills are such that they don't command a very good uh, payment in the marketplace. And that's that's very hard. And it really is you're a product of your environment. And there's two components to success. It's education, like you said, and family. Someone to encourage yeah, you, right, to to push you. You can succeed. Don't don't play the victim. Get out there. Yeah, take, and t- yeah, take account of your own. Yes. Be accountable. Uh, this is very hard for us. Again, we always want to blame someone else. It's a very human impulse. Um, and well, it makes sense. It, it kind of makes sense if you if you are struggling with debt. Well, you know, I would imagine you're like, oh God, how did I lose control? Oh, let me blame it on the system or somebody else, right? So it's a natural, yes. Or my parents. Right, sure. That would be okay, That's the go-to, right. It's it's consolation, and that's very important. And in fact, you know, if if a member of my family is struggling, I'm not going to say it's your fault, you're a loser, right? That's not helpful. Uh, The problem is, is if you constantly see yourself only as a victim, you lose the... uh, incentive and power to take account of your actions and do right. better in the future. Yes. So I think the, the real challenge is pushing the past away, which mm-hmm. looms over all of us and yes. saying from today, I'm going to do better. Yes. And then tomorrow I'm going to do better. You know, one way to think about it is losing weight. Um, what's remarkable to me is how easy it is in some times of my life to say, well, I'm just not going to eat dessert because I shouldn't eat dessert during the week. Uh, that's a really bad strategy for me. And other times, it feels like I can't help myself. And I think the getting control of that sort of impulse to eat, shop, spend yeah. uh, is very hard. And I think uh, we underestimate the power that plays in our lives sometimes. And we will stumble. We just got to make sure yeah. that we get ourselves back on track. Yeah. Get up. You know, and, and I don't know how much... Um, you would have to say about this, but having your PhD in economics, I'm sure you have an opinion about it. There was um, a few episodes ago, we had um, former bankruptcy judge John Nympho on with us. And, you know, he was telling us how to clean up our finances. And one of the ideas that he said, if we all just paid with cash, bought what we could afford with cash, our personal debt would be eliminated. But yet he questioned what it would do to the general economy in and of itself. Do you have a take on that or an opinion? Well, it's a fairly, um, I, I do actually, you were right. Um, <laughs> I, I think for people who struggle with uh, easy credit, uh, going, going cash only is fantastic advice. It's painful, obviously. Um, it's very, it makes, it means delaying gratification which is a very difficult uh, thing to do Mm -hmm. in our current culture. Our culture is all about now, now, now. I want it yesterday. Oh, God, especially the kids now. Yes. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it's a great lesson for parents, I think, is to try to help their kids. Uh, Saying no to your children is no fun, but I like to think that my job as a parent is not to be their friend. It's to be their parent, be their dad. And um, I don't think saying yes all the time, it's good for being their friend, but it's not so good for being their dad. Yeah. So no is a really valuable lesson, I think, because life is full of no uh, down the road, and it's good to get used to it, in my opinion. 
But that's definitely Amen outside to my that. expertise. Yeah. But, yeah. but going back to the question about the economy as a whole, it reminds me of when people say, uh, like for example, I will argue that uh, in December, I would love for America to spend more time around the fireplace and uh, the dinner table than uh, in the mall. I think the commercial aspect of the Hanukkah Christmas frenzy is not good for the soul and certainly unrelated to the religious and spiritual lessons of those holidays. Uh, and then people will say to me, but if people don't spend all their money during Christmas, that's a huge part of the retail market. Mm. And then, then people will be out of work and da, da, da. Well, it's also like saying if we worked 10% less, 20% less, and spent that time doing whatever we found to be meaningful or valuable, teaching ourselves an instrument, how to read French, talking to my more to my parents or grandparents or helping other kids, whatever it is, uh, that somehow that's bad for the economy. And that's just a weird understanding what the economy is. We're the economy. Um, now, it's true. There'd be transition. Yeah. It might be hard if suddenly, all of a sudden, people said, let's stop Christmas shopping. And yeah, well, that would be hard because a lot of retailers plan on those extra sales and they've hired more people and then those people would be let go and they wouldn't get the money they expected. That would be really difficult. Mm -hmm. But if over time we became a smaller economy because we wanted to lead more spiritual or more meaningful or whatever you want to call it lives, that'd be good for the economy because we're the economy. Now, there'd be less measured dollar value. That's not what gives life satisfaction or our lives satisfaction. Who cares? It's absurd. It's a horrible idea to think that somehow our the merits of our lives are measured by how big our GDP is, our, our sales of of stuff. That's, yeah, that's just those are those are vehicles. Those aren't ends in themselves. I hope. It's like that. Uh, this could be cheesy, but it's like that Beatles song. Every <laughs> can't buy me love. That's, yeah, what, I, that's, that's right. what I was singing in my head as you were saying that. Yeah, you're right for sure. Great, great. But it's all right. Russ Roberts, you are awesome. I really appreciate you joining the podcast. PhD in economics. All your old U of R students are waving you a hello right now. Oh, I'm saying hi back. I love being there. And check out Russ Roberts on his podcast, Econ Talk. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. My pleasure. You're listening to this podcast right now, so we know where you want to be financially. But where is your significant other? What are they doing right now? Are they on the same page as you when it comes to planning for your future? If you guys are on the complete opposite sides of the saving spectrum, we're going to help you out next week. How to motivate your spouse to come down to your side, or at least you can meet halfway. That and great ideas on side hustles. Ways to make some quick, easy cash next week on Seven Figures. Thank you so much for emailing me anytime. Sandy at RochesterBuzz.com for checking out the podcast on RochesterBuzz.com and on iTunes and Google Play. And also follow us on Twitter at Seven Figures Pod. Also, big thanks to our good friends at Family First Credit Union. Have a great weekend. Make sure you dominate your finances this weekend. Talk to you next week.